Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. A new study suggests that some of Americans' most difficult health conditions, like heart disease, diabetes, and depression, could be prevented in early childhood. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention surveyed more than 140,000 adults in 25 states, including Illinois. It found that adults who'd experienced the most so-called adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, developed chronic severe health conditions. This information has important implications for how to address those later in life issues. Kate Thayer from the Chicago Tribune reported on the new CDC study. Jeffrey Nagel is president and CEO of the Erickson Institute, a graduate school in childhood development here in downtown Chicago. And Dr. Nia Hurd Garris is a pediatrician at Lurie Children's Pediatrics in Uptown. All three sat down recently with WBEZ's Odette Youssef, and Dr. Hurd Garris started things off by defining some important key terms. Adverse childhood experiences in the field, we call them ACEs. So similar to the card game, ACEs. And those are experiences that happen before 18 that are not desirable. So for example, parental incarceration, having a parent that's divorced, experiencing child abuse or neglect. And there are various other um, experiences as well that happened before 18 that have been shown to have negative health outcomes as children grow up. Um, And toxic stress really, when kids grow up, they are exposed to a whole range of stresses. And some of those stresses are good stresses. So the stress of learning to tie your shoe, it's frustrating, you don't get it, you have to practice and practice and that's stressful. So that's one type of stress, the good stress that makes you learn and grow and develop. And then there are other stressors along that spectrum. So for example, being exposed to a parent who hits you. Again, experiencing those stressors um, are not good for the brain and not good for uh, growth and development. Are these two things connected, ACEs and toxic stress? They are. Many of the ACEs have been shown to be a form of toxic stress, especially these ACEs that one experiences either again and again or very big and dramatic forms of ACEs. So for example, having a parent that goes away to be incarcerated, that might actually only happen once, but that's a big dramatic event that happens in a child's life and can be a toxic stressor. Jeff, I want to turn to you to find out a little bit more about how ACEs came to be a measure. When did this term sort of come into public consciousness? Yeah, so it has an interesting history. It's been about 20 years now. So in the late 90s, the the CDC put out a report that looked at almost 20,000 patients in the Kaiser Health Plan in San Diego. So those were people with health insurance, with employment, uh, with education. They were not what we normally think of as a high-risk group. And it looked at these people, uh, they were essentially in their 40s and 50s, and they asked them, which of these 10 things did you have happen to you as a child? And they were the things like you just heard. It was divorce, it was incarceration, it was mental health issues in the home, it was abuse or neglect. And there were 10 of those. And then people would just check the boxes of whichever one they had. And about a third of the people had none. Um, About uh, 16, 17% had, I think, four or more. And what they saw as they followed those people was that uh, 
people, as they checked more of those boxes, there was like a dose-response relationship between the, the amount of adversity they had as a child and their health outcomes subsequently. And ultimately what they found was that for those who had more than six, they literally lost 20 years on their life. So it was the first time we were really seeing a heavy correlation between what happens to you in your younger years and your health outcomes. So they were all the normal causes of disease, morbidity, and mortality, but it was happening much younger. And so it really started to change the conversation and how we understand the impact of adversity in childhood to your later health outcomes. So how much do we understand about that mechanism, though? Why is it that having more of those ACEs in your childhood translates into higher risk for some of these adverse health outcomes later in life? That's a great question. And I think we have a lot of good hypotheses about what that is. Obviously, no one wants bad things to happen to children. But when we say, wow, if, if a child you know, lives through three, four, or five of these as a kid, you hope that they will overcome them and get on with their life. But the reality is, even if it happens when they're so young that they won't remember it cognitively, they really do remember it biologically. Mm -hmm. So the biological impact from the stress, so you brought up toxic stress earlier, that impact on the developing brain and the developing cardiovascular system and all your systems in your body, they end up, because of the stress, being impacted. And what you see on a cellular level changes really even just from the earliest year. So you look at the children who were in orphanages in Romania when they looked at a section of the DNA called the telomeres, which basically can indicate the cell life. Children who had been in deprived, very deprived uh, environments in Romania, they had shorter telomeres by age nine. So they were biologically aging faster even by age nine. And what's interesting when you think about the astronaut study that happened with the Kelly brothers, the twin brothers, and one was in space and one was on Earth, one of the many things they were looking at was the telomeres of the twins because the hypothesis was that if you were living in space, you'd be much more stressed living in that environment. And they assumed that the Kelly brother, I think it was Scott, that was in space, he would have shorter telomeres than his twin brother Mark on Earth. But in reality, by being in space, his telomeres were actually longer than his twin brother. So mm -hmm. maybe living in space is the fountain of youth, but <laughs> you have to stay there. You can't come back because once you return to Earth his telomeres became the same length as his twin brother. So Wow. Okay. There's a lot that's really fascinating about this. Kate, let's turn to you to learn about Tuesday's CDC report. What did that report detail? So we've known for 20 years now that these ACEs can have a negative impact on kids as they grow older, even shorten their life. But what the CDC did earlier this week is they not only had another data set that showed that, but also they put it in terms that they could sort of estimate what would it look like if these ACEs were taken away. And they showed that there could be, using 2017 data, 1.9 million fewer cases of heart disease, which is the leading cause of death in this country, um, as well as 21 million fewer cases of depression and 2.5 million cases of obesity. So what they were doing is they were showing, had these people not had these stressors, then perhaps we wouldn't have seen as many of these cases of heart disease, et cetera, and other leading causes of death. So in some ways, a more feasible solution than launching people into outer space and keeping them there. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> what were some of the other sort of big picture highlights from the data? 
Well, the CDC said that we need to focus on prevention to prevent these things from happening. And basically, again, showed that these people that they studied, you know, more than half, 60 percent had experienced at least one of these ACEs. And one in six had had actually had four or more. And what we also know from this research is when you have like compounding ACEs, that's the worst thing. And they found that actually women, African-Americans and other minorities were more likely to have these multiple ACEs, which is what I think pediatricians and others worry about when we're talking about how this could impact your, your life. Yeah. So Nia and Jeff, I'd, I'd like to hear from each of you, maybe starting with Nia, about what do you make of these findings if it seems that prevention is the key? How do we actually go about that? I think it's a good question, and it's a tough question, and that's why we have not systematically eliminated all the ACEs in the world. Ideally, we would prevent them, but there are a lot of people over almost half of our country has at least had one. Mm -hmm. So we really need to think about what things that we can put in place structurally to help prevent some of the ACEs from happening. So in the field, there's been a lot of focus on individual factors. What can an individual do to overcome their ACEs or what can a family do? But we know individuals and families that have ACEs are already stressed. So I'm looking to see what the community structures can be in place. And we've done research that has looked at like enhancing a neighborhood safety, um, having libraries and parks and recreation centers help to boost resilience in children, all children, not necessarily just children with ACEs, and mentorship. Those are some key things that can help on a community level to help prevent or even address kids that have ACEs to um, help so that they don't have to go down this trajectory just because they've had an ACE. That doesn't mean that they're going to go on to have all these negative mental and physical health outcomes. Mm -hmm. Another study that I thought was super interesting has looked at the participation of sports. So children that have ACEs that are a part of sports teams can help to lower the impact of anxiety and depression. So that's something that might be a little bit more attainable right now is like helping to make sure that little league participation in sports is more available to everyone. Jeff, talk a little bit about some of the solutions that the Erickson Institute has been pursuing in Chicago. The Erickson Institute is very focused on uh, young children, so zero to eight. And we serve about 10,000 children around the state each year. And we do that in a range of different programs and services. Here in Chicago, we have two mental health clinics that are specifically focused on children zero to five. And we come at that from a very trauma perspective, trying to help kids overcome uh, some sort of trauma or adversity. And um, they would certainly qualify as an adverse childhood experience. So we have one here in River North, and we have one that opened about six weeks ago in Little Village. And, uh, you know, the demand is incredible. A lot of families need these services. And it's wonderful that we're able to provide that uh, thanks to a lot of philanthropic support in the city that has really stepped up to try to offer these types of uh, interventions, certainly with a focus on prevention, understanding that you have to intervene early. You can't just wait for um, more symptomatic problems to emerge, that when a child lives through some adversity, uh, it, you have to help them process that. Otherwise, it's going to you know, show up in other ways for the child in school or certainly down the road in health. And when I say down the road, I'm not even talking about when they're 50 or 60. It can show up, you know, the studies show by 9 to 15, asthma, gastrointestinal issues, other types of symptoms that are clearly going to be present if a child under age 5 lives through some sort of traumatic experience. 
Kate, I'm interested in hearing from you in the reporting that you did. You know, there was sort of this distinction that people drew between interventions that happen after the stress has occurred versus things that could prevent it. Can you talk to us a little bit about that distinction? When I talk to um, people who know about this, smart people, (laughs) they (laughs) were telling me that, you know, not only other interventions like he was talking about, but preventing things sort of on a public policy level. Um, and the CDC suggested some of those things, quality access to health care, education, parental leave, and sort of things that can get people on the right track immediately so a kid can feel safe. And another interesting thing that y- your colleague, Dr. Sheehan, told me was, you know, sometimes you can't prevent these bad things from happening, right? Like everyone's going to run into something, which could be potentially a harmful stress. So, you know, even just having one adult who a child can count on is huge. And, you know, I think when we think of all these big picture things that, that society needs to do to help these kids, there is that sort of one simple thing that, you know, if every kid has just one adult that they can trust. And on the CDC media call yesterday, one member of the CDC said that mentoring programs are great for that. And you know, that we can focus on things like that as well. Nia, we've been talking about this from sort of a study perspective and a big picture perspective, but you work one-on-one with families and with patients. I'm interested to hear if you've personally sort of seen the impacts of this at play in the hospital. Absolutely. I am so privileged to take care of kids all over Chicago. And what I would love to to tell your listeners about ACEs in general is that there is not one specific kid that ACEs fall into. So whether you're rich or poor or Latinx or white or black, ACEs impacts almost all of those demographics. Um, And so when children come into our door not having preconceptions about what their lived experience might be and being able to ask them or their family what they've gone through has helped us as a field, as pediatricians, to really be able to address the issue more um, directly. Because otherwise, you know, you're going to, you may assume that only poor kids have this experience or only urban minorities might have this experience. So what we've done in our clinic is begin to ask families, have these things happened to you or your, your, or your child? And trying to put resources in place to help them. For example, if there's food insecurity or if there's other kind of structural issues that might prevent them from coming to our clinic or being able to go to school, we try to address those issues head on. And one of the reasons why I even got into this space is because a colleague said to me, do you ask if a parent is incarcerated? Like just a simple question like that. And I was like, oh, no, I don't ask. If a kid is in the room without their mom or without their dad, I don't necessarily say, where is mom, where is dad? And when I started to ask, you start to get these histories, dad's away or mom's in jail. And then if you don't know that as pediatricians, you can't empower your patients and families to help them and get the resources that they may need. So it, it has impacted a lot of uh, families and patients that I see. And I'm glad that we're bringing such attention to this um, important topic. So Jeff, you know, we, we're hearing about how widespread the this can be among families and children. Um, you work in in early childhood graduate education for educators and social workers. How widespread is the understanding among those folks about the impacts of adverse childhood experiences? Our systems aren't set up to do prevention. This is the challenge for us as the adults is to 
reconfigure the system so that we are more focused on prevention. And right now the, the system is really set up to deal with treatment, wait for the problem to emerge, wait for the symptoms to emerge, and then we intervene. And so that's really, to me, the larger call here is that we have to pay attention to the big picture. How are the systems set up? How are we called to respond? And why are we waiting for the problems to appear? It's much uh, more uh, efficient and less expensive and much more beneficial for the individual and the families if we intervene early and keep uh, a child on a positive trajectory to reach their potential rather than to play catch up, which is very difficult to achieve and much, much more expensive. That was Jeffrey Nagel, president and CEO of the Erickson Institute, Kate Thayer, a reporter at the Chicago Tribune, Dr. Nia Hurd-Garris, attending pediatrician at Lurie Children's Pediatrics Uptown. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you Thanks very for much. having us. And that was Odette Youssef taking you through that conversation. Thanks, Odette, for covering for me. And Odette will be back in the host seat when I take a few days off over the holidays. In the meantime, this is Reset. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause. And rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.